You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. What a great morning we've had already together here in God's house. And today I want to launch into a new Bible study with you from the book of James. And you'll notice behind me here, back to work is the theme. Now, when I think about all the chaos that's going on in the world today, all the things that can distract us and discourage us. I think about just a practical word of advice that I don't know who told me this, but but I've learned it over the years when times are sort of uh, um, heavy and hard. One of the best things you can do is just get to work, stay busy, invest. Now, I want you to realize that I'm not exhorting you today and in this series of James just to go out and and do work like regular work. I want to invite you to be involved in kingdom work because when times are tough, if we are investing our very best in the work of the kingdom, then we will not be distracted or discouraged by all the crazy things that are going on around us. You know, I, I, I just left my daughter in Chicago to go to school, and I didn't see that coming. I should have known, but you know, I've kind of got that on my mind. So the Lord has told me that in the next few days, I've got to get to work. I need to be busy. I need to be focused on things or else I'll start thinking about things that, that can weigh me down and make my heart heavy. And I give you that example because I know that many of you come here today because of all the things that are happening in the world. And whatever reason it is, you came in here with some heaviness. My hope is that God's word can break you free from the chains that are weighing you down. Whatever it is that is burdening you, we've got a better message for you than anything you've heard in the world. And so, believer, that's for you. If you are here today and you're searching, you're spiritually seeking, there's a message here of hope for you that I hope you won't miss because this really is a beautiful passage of scripture today that can challenge our hearts and lead us towards the path of perfection. But we've got to get to work, friends. We have to invest our hearts and minds and souls in the work of the kingdom of God. So I'm going to ask you and invite you to open your Bibles with me as you stand with me, as we stand together on the solid rock of God's word. We're going to be in James chapter one, and we'll be reading verses one through four. I hope you have your copy of scripture. Otherwise, you can read it off the wall, which makes you an off the wall Christian. Okay, so that's the way it is. That's a dad joke for you right there. James chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. James, a servant. Now, I want you to realize that word servant can also be translated slave. Powerful word. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Now, here's audacity right here. Notice this. Count It all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, friends, if you notice there in verse 4, that's where we're aiming. We're aiming towards perfection. And so today, we're on that path to perfection. There are some stepping stones I'm going to share with you, and if we'll take those a step at a time, we're going to get to that place where God wants us to be. And when we get to that place of perfection, that place where God wants us to be, we will get to work, and we will change the world. Let's pray. 
Lord, we came in here today, some of us, one of the last things we heard on the radio coming in or as we had our phones out looking, we, we saw news about the chaos in the world and all the things that are going wrong. And Lord, right now, I know many people are struggling to hear your word because we have a lot of voices and a lot of worry and anxiety in our hearts. And I pray right now, Lord, that you will break through all of that worry. I ask by the power of your Holy Spirit that the word of God will speak clearly to every heart. Anyone who is in the darkness, anyone who is in the fog, anyone who is, is in the clouds that this world provides, I pray, Lord, that you'll break through all of that and help them to hear your word. God, we claim right now your power. We believe, Jesus, in your power to overcome all the darkness. And Lord, I pray right now, if there is anyone under the oppression of the enemy, anyone who does not know you and the power of salvation, God, that you're speaking to them even now. We give these next few moments over to you, Lord, and pray for your mighty saving power to flow in this place. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, the holidays are behind us, and so is 2020, and everybody thought things would get, you know, semi-normal, and things have just gotten crazier and crazier. Nothing seems to be going the way we thought it would, and all of the, the, the different dreams and aspirations that many people have had for our country, our land, uh, the future, seem to be up in the air right now. I realize that many people today, many people that I love, the last few days have been some of the hardest days of their lives. We have a country right now that is struggling like never before. So let me just say this to you. Our world needs Christianity like never before. This world needs churches like this that are led by the Spirit and empowered to do the work of the kingdom of God. The book of James is the perfect place for the church to be in times such as this. This is, by providence, most likely the oldest piece of Christian literature in existence. In other words, James may be the very first that we have, the oldest expression of Christian truth. We are really going back to our roots as we look at this book, this epistle, this wonderful piece of not just literature, but of the Word of God. There are 108 beautiful verses here that give us our deepest roots and also our clearest commands. From the earliest days of the church, the book of James was attributed to the half-brother of Jesus. These are words that flow from a man who was extremely close to Jesus. And what we have as a result is a book that is extremely practical, focused on the ethical, and forces us to consider, and here's what I want you to note, write down, it forces us to consider how what we know about Christ changes what we do for Christ. We are not here today to just hear a message and then go off and live our lives the same way that we were living them before. But God's word has as its purpose to save us and to change us. We need to be a people that know true things, but live truth, acting out in our faith in a good way. Too many times we act out, but just not in a good way. Our, our journey through James will help us grasp a raw, pure vision of the gospel and then show us how to put it into practice. It is clear when I, when I study the millennial generation and really the generations that follow that, that people today, young people today, are hungry for truth, yes, but they're also very, very leery of those things that are inauthentic. 
We need authenticity, church. In other words, what we need to do is we need to preach the gospel. We need to make sure that our doctrine is sound, but we also have to make sure that our actions match with what we're saying. It is so important, and that's what James is doing here. He is saying, you know, faith without works is dead. That's what everybody knows from James chapter 2, and Luther didn't like that. He, he, he didn't, didn't feel like this was a powerful argument, and, and, and I, I think, dare I say, Luther, I, I disagree with him. Uh, this, is, this is what the church needs to hear. It's been preserved for us because the church can never forget that even though we're saved by faith, we are called to do the work of the kingdom for the benefit of our neighbors. Your works are not going to save you, but if you are saved, you're going to work in such a way that you're changing the lives of others. We need to be living victorious lives in Christ because there are many people who do not know him, and we have this opportunity to work for Jesus so that they may know him. What an awesome, awesome honor and responsibility. James's book is not meant to be deep theologically. I don't think that's what we need. I, I, I of all people, I, I love deep theology. I love, I love to dig deep into the Word of God. But, but before we can, can get lost in those, those truths, we need to find the deeper meaning of what God is doing through the Word. This book is so good. It has plenty of depth. Don't get me wrong. But what it's doing is it's continually challenging us. Okay, you say you believe. You say you have a deep faith in Jesus. Show it in your life and in your actions. Because as we get deeper into the truth, we grow deeper in our service to God and his kingdom. That's what we're after here. Not just knowing more of God, but doing more for God. Those things should go together. Don't tell me that you're growing in your faith, but you're not growing in your service to Jesus. Those two things have to go together. It's not possible to, to grow closer to Jesus and further away from serving him. This passage is beautiful because it lays out stepping stones. When, when Jenny and I built the first home we built together, um, we survived, our marriage survived it just barely. We put down white carpet and we, we still survived. Our, our marriage survived. But I remember one of the things we did is we put down uh, some stepping stones. We, we lived on a really small lake and, and we wanted a path down to the water. So we had those stepping stones and they were, they were pretty natural stone. And, and those stones led us down to the water. And what I have in my mind is just today a couple of steps that can get us into a more Christ-centered, kingdom-honoring, life-changing kind of gospel life. We want to, to have the world hear what we have to say, but we also want to make sure that we show the world that we're willing to do all things for Christ and in His strength. And I believe that, that when we are working for the Lord, we have this beautiful centerpiece this, this beautiful thing to draw people's attention to that, that honors him. It's not about us. It's about him. Now, again, I want you to look at the text in verse 1. Before we get to the stepping stones, it's so important. Are we, like James, willing to become slaves of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ? You see, this passage of Scripture, really this whole book, is encouraging us to come to terms with the fact that the lowest ministry and the greatest service is to just serve the Lord, to be a slave. Again, that word, it means exactly what it means. It doesn't mean that you, you have the position of honor, but you have the position of servitude. Are we willing to do that? Here, this is the challenge the Lord told me to share with you. Even this morning, this is the word he laid on my heart. Christians today 
seem more worried about being enslaved to big tech or the government. And they never surrender to being a slave of Christ. If you look today at what Christians are worried about, they're worried about big tech, what Twitter is doing, what Facebook is doing, all those things, free speech and all the issues. I don't want to get into that, but you know that this is a different environment that we're living in, if you're paying attention, than we've ever been in before. And people are afraid of losing their rights and, and being enslaved by these, by these entities, by these, these, these shadowy figures out there. We're so worried about that. But when was the last time you worried about being a slave of Christ? You're worried about being enslaved, but you've not been enslaved to Christ. Friends, open your mind and your heart because, listen, I'm not saying that the world isn't crazy right now. I'm not saying that the world isn't falling apart in some ways. But if you're worried about all these things out there that are going on in the world, but you're not seeking Christ, you've not surrendered to Jesus, your biggest problem is the Lord Jesus Christ. Is he your master and Lord? Too many of us are allowing the world to pull us around and to, and to pull us this way and that. Now I want you to see a, another word here, the word dispersion there in the latter part of verse 1. You see, this book was written to a bunch of people that were spread out throughout the, the ancient world. They were, they were not in one place. Because of persecution, they'd been dispersed. And James is having to write to them this common message, but to keep them united. I believe this word is key for us today because the church today is dispersed once again. Churches are out there and everybody's doing their own thing. And many times we're forgetting that even though we have an individual body of Christ here, we are connected together as brothers and sisters in Christ. We cannot in this church afford to be diverse in the sense that we believe different things and are going in different directions. We want to get our focus straight. And in the next few months, I'm going to do this using the book of James to show you some major roads, some major pathways that God wants us to go down to make sure that we're supporting the things that matter most, that we're giving our money and our ministry to those areas where the people are out there who are the most vulnerable and those who are hurting the most. We want to be a church make a, making a difference in the world. We need to do this. We can't afford to be dispersed any longer. We have to have the common cause of Christ, and I want to show that to you. Let's take the first step, and it is an audacious one. We have to count joy in the face of trials. The path to perfection doesn't, believe, uh, doesn't begin in an easy place. The believer's road to maturity, it is a difficult path. But let me say this, if you are growing in Christ, then by default, you need to be growing closer to Christ, not further away. Every single person in this room, you're all on a journey and you're either getting closer to Jesus or further away. My family and I like to hike. No, check that. I like to hike and I make my family go with me. And so we've been on many a hike. And basically, if you go hiking out west, the trails are of one, one of two sorts. There are loops, and then there are straight there and back kind of journeys. Now, I'm going to tell you this right now, and I want you to get this in your head today. And again, this I think is important because of current events. When we think about our lives today and how things like Facebook, things like digital media, things like what, what's going on in Washington, D.C., 
Those things, when we focus on those, we get caught in this vicious cycle, this loop. Here, hear this. The more news you watch today and the more articles you read about the chaos in the world, all it's ever going to do is put you in a loop. And you're never getting anywhere because let me tell you something. There isn't any kind of politics and there isn't any kind of promise in the world that's going to lead you to the place called hope. That's a vicious cycle. So instead of doing that, notice what we're doing. We're not inviting you into a vicious circle, but we're telling you to get on board with a straight line journey to where God wants you to be. We have a destination, church. We are not caught in a loop. We are on a destination to grow closer to Jesus. And the closer we get to Jesus, the more we will do for him. We're getting worked up because we're caught in a loop. And I'm asking you, begging you, pleading with you to get on the line heading towards Jesus. You're either getting closer to him or further away. And we need to be getting closer. Life is full of trials, no doubt. To live in this world is to experience drama. And drama is no fun. It may be great for your movies and your books, but it's not good when you're living through it. The prosperity gospel is out there. And I'm going to tell you, don't worry about attacking the prosperity gospel. The, the, the world is not going to be attracted to a gospel that tells you you're going to have everything in this world when this world starts to take everything from you. What the world is going to be attracted to is a gospel of Jesus Christ that, that argues, that begs, that pleads with you to come to Christ. Listen, I want you to see in verse 2, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers. And that word brothers can be brothers or sisters in this context. Count it all joy, count, count, count. That's a mathematical term. When you meet trials of various kinds, it's saying you've got to count everything, even the trials. Now listen to Romans 8, 28. All things work together for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. So if you'll notice there, all things, everything, that means if we are children of God, then even when we're going through various trials and sufferings, those things are working together for good for God's people. Today, people are watching the news and saying it's all falling apart. But I want you to know, if our hearts are tuned in to the Heavenly Father, even the trials we're going through are going to lead us into better ministry and a more powerful reliance on Jesus. Soft times make soft Christians, and these aren't soft times anymore. We can't lean on our 401ks. We can't depend on the comforts and conveniences of a Western culture. We may have to go back to very primitive kind of living and, and, and worshiping. But that's okay. If it means more souls are saved. We want to be a church that in good seasons and bad, easy times and hard times, are preaching the same glorious message of Jesus. That people see in us that we are counting it a joy to serve Jesus even when the world says we're crazy. And we're persona non grata. It's okay. Don't worry about that. Stand for Jesus. Stand for joy. The prosperity gospel doesn't have that kind of, of thing to offer. I don't know how they preach James chapter 1 where it speaks of trials of various kinds. Because it's those trials that help us become like a diamond. The cuts that we endure Give us those facets, like in a diamond. I want you to get that image in your mind. We'll circle back to it in a little bit there. But I want you to think about that. Those cuts, those difficulties. A diamond is formed, as you well know, by outside pressure. But know this, James is telling us something about how we can deal with stress in our hearts. 
Note this, if Christ is in your heart, you have the unique ability to overcome outside pressure. I kind of have in my mind one of those uh, submersibles, those, those um, subs that go down into the depths of the ocean, like down to see the Titanic or whatever. Um, those things are thick steel and thick glass to withstand the pressure. But I'm going to tell you, the pressures of this world, they are great as well. We are going to go through some deep, dark times. But if Christ is in us, then we have the the solid truth that no pressure can completely crush. We will be perplexed. We will be pressed. But we will not be crushed because Jesus is stronger than anything in this world. Oh, friends, we have to have eyes that are made clear by Christ. Our blurry vision Uh, needs to be made clear by, as one person put it, Christ's eye ointment, the gospel, so that we can see clearly his presence even in trials. The same pastor, uh, Thomas Manton, he says, a Christian is a bird that can sing in winter as well in spring. Well, it was a cold, kind of gray day when I came to church this morning. It is a winter day, but I want to tell you what I heard in the first service and this service, we can still sing, can't we? We still have a song because we have a Savior. Amen? We have a song because we have a Savior. The pressure is on, but the power is real in Jesus. This is what the Lord has prepared us for, church. Don't worry about the darkness of the day. Remember the light of Christ. Jesus himself, Luke 6, 22 and 23. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil. On account of the Son of Man, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. Jesus is preparing us. He has always been preparing us for these hard times. We need to realize that the Holy Spirit makes it possible for us to experience the very glory of God in the darkest times. Romans 8.18, listen to this. For I consider, Paul says, that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. This week I was, uh, I was listening to a book, uh, and it was uh, one of the, the more mystic spiritual writers of olden times. But one of the lines, I had to like rewind it and listen to it again. He was talking about how the closer we get to God, the more wireless we become. Not wireless, okay, not Wi-Fi. Y, W-H-Y, less. It is okay when you're suffering to ask why. But the more we trust in Jesus, the more wireless we become because we're trusting in the sovereignty of God. I I don't think that's a word, wireless, but it's a powerful thought, isn't it? We need to be more wireless in a world that is upside down. We could ask why things are happening the way they are, but we need to trust that a sovereign God, listen, I am certain of one thing, that it is not a mistake that God brought you into the world for such a time as this. I do not believe this millennial generation is going to let us down. I don't think the young people are going to let us down. God brought you into the world for such a time as this. You're going to be used to bring revival to the land. You are going to trust in the Lord. You're going to have to more than our generation did and generations before me. Many of us grew up in an environment where being a Christian was not a dangerous thing. We may be in a world today where that is the truth. And I could get up here and make you feel bad and worry about it. Let me not do that. Let me tell you, you got Jesus. And the pressure is going to come. But the power is in him. 
You can overcome. You can do this. You can have joy in the face of trials. With God's help, we must make a definitive decision to pursue joy. As one commentator puts it, God's glory is step one. Let me add one more thing. The Lord gave me this this morning too. You won't feel joy if you feed on anxiety. The conversations I've had with people in the last week or two, I can tell that people's diet has, has comprised way too much anxiety. And as long as we're feeding on fear and anxiety, we will not know joy. Face the trials and believe that joy is coming. Do not feed on frustration. Do not feed on anxiety. But let's feast upon the Lord. and Let's trust that he is going to do something great through his people. Step two, we need to have commitment to the work. God created human beings to work. Even the pristine Garden of Eden was a place of work. We need to understand that, that when I say, when James says, get back to work, when I say that here as a part of this sermon series, work for many of us is, is something negative. It's something we have to do. But I'm not asking you to get to work in some negative, you know, go make widgets kind of way, okay? Go out there and just, you know, do your job and punch the time clock. But the work we're talking about here is the kind of work that changes lives, And we need to realize that our work for Jesus is something that helps us reclaim the joy that Adam and Eve knew briefly in the garden. When we are doing the work of the kingdom of God, we're growing towards maturity. It's our second step here, at least in our process, as we're describing it today, leading us toward that place where we may be perfect and complete. Look at verse 4, and lacking nothing. Now, this is sort of a repeat of what we said earlier, but we have a faith that can withstand the pressures and heat of a fallen world. Now, it's interesting to me that the very fires we face in our our tests of faith help us see the genuineness of our hope. I want you to see that word steadfast that's repeated several times in our text here. It, it It is this that gives us the ability to appreciate what God is doing. It tempers us. One commentator says, tempered metal is more precious than raw material. So when you take raw material... You know, that maybe the stuff that it takes to make steel, it's not that valuable. It's not that, you know, it's it's, it's important because you need it as part of the process. But in the end, it's the steel that you want. And I believe that that's what God is doing. He is making us more valuable when he tempers us. The, The trials you're going through, I'm not negating them. I'm not saying they're not a big deal. But they are a deal that can make you sharper if you allow the Spirit to work. We're not going to run away from the reality that the world is going to be a harder place to practice Christianity. But I want you to know this. Steadfastness is pointing us toward patience, not passivity. You are not called to be passive in a world gone mad. You're supposed to be patient. You're supposed to be committed to the work, steadfast to the work, so that you can hear the word of the Lord and then act and move when the time comes. We must have a perfecting sort of patience. Now, I want to just point out something to you here. We don't do this alone. This this journey that I'm talking about, this commitment to the work of the kingdom, is something we do together. Notice that it it is in the plural there. Count it all joy. Verse 2, my brothers. And, And in the Greek, this is not just about the brothers. It's really brothers and sisters. So I want you to get that. That's important. But I want you to notice he uses this sibling term here that's very powerful. Uniting us. Joining us together 
Augustine, the great theologian and saint of the fourth century, he said, we are cemented with the same blood of Christ. You know what holds us together? It is a bond unbreakable because it is the bond of the blood. That's what Augustine is saying, and that's what the church needs to realize. The world is going to try to break us apart, but we need to be like concrete, glued together. Now, I want you to note this also. A man who was a literal brother of Jesus, a half-brother, never makes mention of this fact and sees all true believers as siblings of the Savior. Notice this. He highlights the brother and sister bond we have in Christ more than he highlights his own familial bond with Jesus. What's more important to him? It's not that he was blessed to be a brother of Jesus, but that he's blessed by Jesus to be a brother and for you, uh, brothers, to have sisters in Christ. Isn't that amazing? Look at where his emphasis lies. It's in the togetherness of the church. Oh, friends, we need to work hard for the kingdom of God. We need to realize that it is the faith that we have that can produce something, develop something strong. Thomas Manton, again, he wrote this in the 17th century. He says, trees often shaken are deeply rooted. Well, one of the reasons why American Christianity isn't all that strong is because we haven't been shaken too much and our roots aren't that deep. And that's why people are kind of, kind of losing their minds as, as things seem to be spiraling out of control. We need to be steadfast more than we need to be, quote unquote, healthy. I mean, healthy many times just means, means comfortable. Steadfast means that we're being strong in, in, in spite of the storm, ready to withstand the wind. A, a German theologian, Tillichie, he says this, the greatest deficit in the American church, and he was writing this like 70 years ago, is that she has an, an inadequate view of suffering. The church often isn't strong as it ought to be because she hasn't suffered well in the name of Jesus. If you want to grow, you must commit to work, and it is the grind Does not Paul say in Philippians 2.12 that we are to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling? That's the grind. That's the work. It doesn't mean that you can earn your salvation, that you work towards that. That's by faith. But you need to realize that if you are committed to the work, if you are, are ready to experience the trials and you're committed steadfast in the work, it's going to be a grind. Another person put it this way, endurance is faith stretched out. You are going to be stretched. But hear me, if you are in Christ, you will be stretched, but you will not be broken. I know that many people here today are feeling the tension, like a bungee cord. We feel like we're at tension and we can't go any further. But trust in the Lord. Even if it feels like you're at the breaking point, believe that God is going to give you the endurance to stretch a little further and to trust a little more and to be what God wants you to be. Only then can we get to step three, our final point, which is complete love. Now, you'll be hard-pressed in verses 2 through 4 to find the word love, but I think it's there. Notice that James says that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. The church comes closest to perfection when she is full of love. Is it not love, true love, that covers a multitude of sins? 1 Peter 4, 8. Faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love? 1 Corinthians 3, 13. We can't reach the world if we lack this thing called love. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing, requires you to be full of love. A few weeks ago, about a month ago, I shared with you that the opposite of love is not hate, but it is apathy. 
And what we need to realize is, is that the greatest danger the church has today is that we are, are apathetic, that we've given up, that because the times are tough, we're just shrugging our shoulders and saying, I guess we can't do anything about this. Well, listen, I don't believe there's a political solution, but I do believe there is the power of the gospel. The church needs to allow the power of the Spirit to fill us. We will push back against darkness. We will uh, turn the tide, but only when we are trusting fully in Jesus. We've put our faith in worldly things too long, and the church now is having to lean on Jesus like never before. Get out of the loop and get on the line to Christ. Don't get caught in this vicious cycle of of negativity that's in the world, but determine that you're going to be filled with the love of Jesus. Mature Christian faith is a loving Christian faith because God is love. 1 John 4, 8. And when we are loving well, we are walking close to God himself. There is no amount of pressure that you're facing in the world today that is an excuse for you to be unloving. Whatever reason you can give me for not loving well, it's not a good reason because Jesus loved well even unto death, death on a cross. And we're not being asked, as far as I know in this room, to to, to be crucified literally here today. We don't have that kind of persecution yet in this land, but regardless, we are still called to love. Is love lacking in the world? Yes, Is love lacking in the church? Sadly, yes. But we don't have to stand for this one minute longer. We we don't have to stand for this. We can determine to be mature in our faith so that we can grow in love. Don't be surprised or upset when the world isn't loving, but don't settle for it in the church. Don't settle for a lack of love in the church. When you say, well, that church isn't loving, the only question I have for you is, are you contributing love yourself? It is so easy to point a finger and say, we need to love people more. And then you're not doing anything about it. If you feel convicted that the church needs to be more loving, then you're in the right place because God is convicting you to be a a lover of God and a lover of lost people like never before. That's the perfection. Complete love. St. Basil, circa 350 A.D. Awesome saint because, well, he's named after a condiment. Um... He said, just a little dad joke again, I'm sorry. Uh, He's spicy, I guess, I don't know. I know many who fast and pray and sigh, but withhold from God and the poor. The church in America, for a long time, we've said the right things. We, we know that we're supposed to care for our neighbor, to love the Lord our God with our heart, mind, strength, and so on, our neighbor as ourselves. We know this, Jesus taught us this, but we're just not really doing it. And we go, oh my goodness, it's so bad. But let me just say this. It's not enough. Listen, we've got plenty of people. Captain Obvious, you, you can point out things that are wrong in the world. Wow. You can watch the news today and say, man, things are messed up. Wow, aren't you brilliant? Isn't that the most obvious thing in the world? Let me, I, I'm, I'm not trying to be, be, well, I am being sarcastic. But anyway. I mean, it's so funny to me that people like, like Christians get together and like, man, the world is bad. And man, things are falling apart. And man, what are we going to do? And then you don't do anything. You don't pray more. You don't read the word more. You don't share the gospel more. But you go and you talk. There's that circle. You're in the loop and you're not on the line. 
If we are serious about changing the culture, then we need to take James seriously and we need to get to work. The path of perfection doesn't take a genius to figure out. It just takes courage to take one step, two steps, three steps, and get to the place where the love of God is filling you and filling the church. God is trying to take the pressure we're under and turn us into diamonds. That's what he's trying to do. Diamonds don't come unless there's pressure. The path to perfection leads to love and the cross and that which changes the world radically. But we've got to get to work. We have to stop making excuses. We have to come together. You know, James has a great word for us. This is just the beginning. The path to perfection is to get to work. You know, I don't feel perfect. Far from it. I know I have a lot of work to do to grow closer to God. But one of the things the word keeps teaching me is the worst thing I can do is, is despair, be anxious, to be fearful. That's where the enemy wins. If you want to be a powerful force for Jesus, take the faith that has saved you. Church, you listen to me. Take the faith that has saved you and get to work. I don't know what that looks like for you. And quite frankly, unless the, the Lord comes back, then we all have the same amount of time left, basically. But we don't know if the Lord's coming back. But we do know this, that whether the Lord comes back or we're alive and remain, we know that Jesus is real and he's the King of kings and Lord of lords. We all have only so much time and it's time to get to work. And I don't know if that is in ministry, in missions. I don't know for if some of you if that means giving and giving in a different way, in a more generous way. But we've got to get to work and we must stop making excuses because souls are in danger. The world is growing dark. But when the church gets to work, the light will shine bright. So what are we going to do? The first step for some of us is, is to get to the altar. Because if you're here today and you've been seeking truth and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the only way to get on this path is to trust that the cross and the blood of Jesus saves you, washes away your sins, and unites you with us. Start there. And then church, if you've been saved, but you've not been to work in a long time, then I'm asking you to step out and get to work. Make the commitment. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us, or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.